Ah, what a great day to be an air pirate. Do you know how we know we're pirates, Vice? Uh, because we raid ships? No! <laughs> we think, therefore we are. Oh, God, Dad, can you lay off the jokes? What's the matter? Can't stand the peer pressure? Dad, just stop. Well, you could always plan a mutiny. Call it a conspiracy. <laughs> We're air pirates. There isn't a sea. Now you're just being weird. But son, the high seas is where my hearty be. Aika, how much is our secret? Buy a ship and start our own crew fund. Still got about 200,000 gold to go, Vice. How about we'll set sail at the Kraken of Dawn? I think I'm going to have to get a pay for it or something. I have to get off the ship. What's the matter, son? Can't see eye to eye? Come arrest me, Empire. I'm done. Huh, you just stormed off. Hey, I kept telling him, call me dad when we're out pirating. You're going to get dad jokes. Eh, he'll get over it. He'll have his own ship sooner or later. Sooner or later. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> In the early 2000s, Kelly Ryan and Matt Mason were sent to backlog prison for the crime of owning too many games. These RP gamers promptly escaped with help from their staff to the internet underground. Today, still drowning in unplayed games, they survive as podcasters with no fortune. If you have a backlog, if no one else can help, well, you've already found them. It's our A-Team of RPG Backtrack. And welcome to RPG Backtrack, your regular deep dive into your favorite RPGs. We're a production of RPGamer.com, bringing you such fine podcasts like RPG Cast for your news, Q&A Quest for your feedback, and we are for your nostalgia. I am your host, Kelly Ryan, and the, the vice to my Ica, my podcast partner in crime, Matt Mason. I'm going to completely agree with that because I completely know exactly what you're talking about here tonight. Awesome. Yes. What, you're not into the air pirates? <laughs> I, I I love pirates. I love air anything float through the air in an RPG. I just haven't played this game. Like, unfortunately, uh, I should have been playing it during JRPG July when you did. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a game that's not as accessible as we would like it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, th- though we've had people that have played it recently and in the past. We've got uh, David McBurney. Uh, standard issue Blue Rogue. Um, Robert Albright. Jumping off those ships like there's no tomorrow. And Cassandra Ramos, who, like me, played it for JRPG July. Yes, reliving one of the earliest RPGs I played. Um, if, if you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about Skies of Arcadia, one of Sega's best RPG series that everybody wants more of that they just won't give us. Yeah, does it count as a series that there's one game and one enhanced port? <laughs> I, I don't think... It's it's not... A, it's it's an enhanced port of the one game, so it's still just one game. <laughs> yeah, 
But uh, apparently, the, lots of people request it, but Sega has just been like, eh, it, the, the GameCube version didn't sell enough, we're good. Like, no! The Dreamcast version also didn't sell very well, so I kind of well, get it. The Dreamcast <laughs> didn't sell very well, that's not a good excuse! <laughs> and there probably were plans for a PS2 and, uh, like, PC versions that never saw the light of day. The PS2 yeah. version didn't happen because the PS2 sucks ass as a piece of hardware. <laughs> See, that surprised me because yeah. I thought that the PS2 was easy to, to was a lot easier, or the easiest of the three to make stuff. For. Oh, by far it was the hardest. Okay, Interesting. well, <laughs> I misremembered that. Um, yeah, it just wasn't the kind of uh, like twelve labors of Hercules that working on the PS3 was. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. I guess I did kind of confuse that. Um, Man, systems, they're, they're complicated. But yeah, Skies of Arcadia, we've been kind of chomping at the bit to get into this one. I don't know if the original Backtrack cast got into this one. I think so. It was a long time ago. Though. I hope so. <laughs> Pro- probably as long ago as the uh, game itself. I, I didn't realize years. this week that it was almost 20 years. It is 20 years. And no, well, the Dreamcast version is over 20 years old. Yeah, 22. Yeah. So. Uh, for the North American, almost. Yeah, for the North American GameCube version, we're looking at like six months until it's 20 years. Oh, I, I am getting so much older. Mm-hmm. It's like those memes, what you thought games were like 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like, showed that one oh. to my sister and she practically had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we, uh, old people, quick take a break. Um, get get our Ben Gay and our d- dentures trying to make a terrible old people joke, and when we come back, we're just gonna dive in to Skies of Arcadia, get get into the just the the meat of it. So stick around, we'll be right back. Back to RPG Backtrack, where we are diving in to Skies of Arcadia, released in North America on November 13th, 2000 for the Dreamcast. Wow, 22 years ago. Um, it's it's arguably the Dreamcast's best RPG, unless anyone wants to stand for Time Stalkers or Grandia 2. Well, one of those is a joke, but <laughs> yeah, uh, Grandia 2 is at least like a contender. <laughs> yeah, because I was hard-pressed to think of other RPGs, and then Grandia Fantasy 2 Star Online? hit me. Eh, does, does online games really count? I mean, they kind of do, but... I mean, it is an RPG. Yeah. Uh, Not that I've played the, the, would, the Dreamcast I, version of that. <laughs> I would consider it like a minimum viable product for an online action RPG, but it is there. It was, uh, com- it was completely inaccessible for. to me because I had AOL online back then and it the Dreamcast modem did not like that connection. You could play it single player. It was not a fun yeah, experience, I, but it was a thing you could do. 
I tried playing it. I played player on yeah, the, pretty on much the oh, GameCube, I think. Yeah, I pretty much played it entirely offline, but I guess <laughs> it's an off topic. <laughs> and then um, later, it was released for the GameCube on January twenty seventh, two thousand three, in North America, where I they started on the GameCube port almost immediately after the Dreamcast was discontinued. Um, and, and yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was where I learned that oh, there were PS two and PC ports planned that never came to light, and that kind of made me a little bit sad. Yeah, they barely got Sonic working on PS2. They weren't going to get Sides of Arcadia working. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the game was produced by Rico Kodama, who worked on Fantasy Stars, you know, the good Fantasy Stars for the Genesis <laughs> 1, 2, and 4. And then the scenario writer was Shu- Shuntaro Tanaka, who worked on the first Sakura Wars games. And just, just kind of go, I mean, we, we've been working a little bit backwards because we were talking about Valkyria Chronicles earlier in the year. It's, it's kind of neat seeing the progression. Valkyria Chronicles, Sakura Wars, Skies was where a lot of this started. And then you get into the Saturn Sakura Wars. Uh, it said that they, they wanted the uh, game to be a visually impressive game for the Dreamcast, which is why all of the characters are so bright and colorful, and why I didn't notice this until it was pointing out that all the buildings don't have any load times. Yep, and it's all uh, it's it's proper 3D environments, which were still pretty rare. Like the trend on the PS1 was always the pre-rendered, uh, yeah, pre-rendered mm-hmm. 2D backgrounds. Ah. And then just, just kind of going into a little bit more of the facts, the GameCube version uh, runs overall runs better. Um, and uh, you could have surprised me at this has less encounters, but with more XP to compensate. Yeah. That's like, what I hear. <laughs> the GameCube version is already like just wildly like just encounters every couple steps. The Dreamcast version is somehow more so, and that is its biggest flaw. <laughs> yeah, it, there, I do remember there being, like, encounters all the time. I mean, you just t- take a step and you get into one, and what was frustrating about the Dreamcast version was that the, every time you'd know because the disc would slip. Or make that noise. That tragic Dreamcast GD-ROM drive trying to grind itself to pieces. <laughs> yeah, that thing was, I remember that thing being loud. It was a slightly, like, monkeyed with CD drive, which explains a great deal about why it acts the way that it mm. does. <laughs> uh, is that why? Because I learned about this recently, but uh, if you put, apparently if you put the Dreamcast disc in a CD player, you get a unique um, voice clip from the character telling you the, not to do that. You can't save the world from a CD player. And apparently that's not other, like, PlayStation 1 and, like, Dreamcast games do that, too, apparently. I had no idea. You can't have yeah. a GameCube disc in a CD player. It, a little bit of it was... So, when, back when I first started getting into CD-based games, I would put them into CD players because a lot of times the soundtracks were on there. And mm. I was doing TV and radio in school back then, so those uh, those voiceless soundtracks made great background music. But mm. then, after a while, they kind of stopped doing that, partially, I think partially because they wanted to actually sell soundtracks. So, yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> One of my favorite soundtracks to listen to um, in middle school and high school was the uh, Betrayal at Krondor soundtrack. The, the, the reason I stopped doing that, I think more has to do with the fact that uh, CD audio, like audio up to a CD standard that can be read on a standard CD player is going to take up like tons and tons of disk space. So the more 
of your disk that's being taken up by like graphics and FMV data, the less that you can really spare for music. And so that's why a lot of like PS1 games are using the system's onboard synth rather than Redbook Audio. Oh, I see. I did not know that. Yeah, basically over time, the amount of data the games were using was more, you know, than the discs. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, Okay, I always thought it was capitalism. <laughs> it's both, but yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some capitalism in <laughs> but um so so how did each of us play this i i played both versions yeah gamecube only for me i just i got that once i that's shortly after pretty sure shortly after it came out i might have even pre-ordered it i don't quite remember i wanted to play it from when i first saw it in a magazine because i liked its aesthetic a lot but could not find a copy when i had money at any point and so ended up well, there's a GameCube version. I'll pick that up. And then couldn't find a copy for, of that for Love Nor Money for quite a while until randomly running into it in a GameStop and picking it up at the same time as Katamari Damashi, which probably stands as like the best single day of purchases of games <laughs> I've ever made. Uh, I, pi- I picked it up on the GameCube. I'm trying. I, I want to say I picked it up before I because this released in 2003. So I was not in the navy yet so i think it was like one of the last purchases i made right before i joined the navy and then uh, i actually beat it while i was in uh groton connecticut Hmm. so i'm the only person that played the dreamcast version it sounds like yeah it's not a lot of differences to my knowledge no the the main the main difference that makes any sort of diff matters is finding the champs yeah champs and piastal are specific to yeah the, well, yeah, yeah and the, the moon uh, you mean the moonfish i guess cause weren't i think the champs were yeah the dreamcast yeah champs should be there but yeah the moonfish yeah yeah because um you know in the gamecube version koopal just kind of shows up in the corner of the screen um, well, you've got the sound, and then Koopal shows up in the corner of the screen. On the Dreamcast version, you had to have a VMU plugged in to be able to, and the VMU would beep. Um, and I mean that that beep would be loud, just beep 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 beep. <laughs> uh. So it was it was very jarring, especially when you were trying to play the game late at night, and that sound would go off. Um, uh, and, that's very Sega. And as for the the mini game, you know, I like mini kids. Um, was excited about the concept of VMU because I wanted to bring Chows with me from Sonic to, you know, work in school and all that. But the batteries for the LCD in that thing what, did not last very long at all. And back then, those particular batteries were kind of expensive for a, a a kid that only worked like maybe ten hours a week, like I did. So, I never got to experience the mini game, and I and I wish I could have. That's uh, that's what you get when you design your memory card to be a Tamagotchi competitor, because it's 1998, and that's all you can think about. <laughs> I know it, it, but it seems so gimmicky back then. But I can see why they wanted to try it because, yeah, the the idea of being able to take stuff with you just seemed like such a cool idea. But technology wasn't there that could have made them last long. I, I imagine if that came out now, um, crap, you could probably put a little mini LCD screen on the VMU and it's still. I had mean, let's, power. let's not forget that PlayStation also did try it, try it as well station. with the Pocket Station. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that did not come to the U.S. Even more gimmicky, even more useless. <laughs> so, 
So yeah, I, I played my initial impressions were of the Dreamcast version, and then I boot up the GameCube version, and I was like, okay, well I'm gonna find all the discoveries. Wait, they have doubled. Yeah, they had a oh, ton of double. discoveries. I, I don't know the exact amount. It's just there was a lot. <laughs> just a general expansion of a lot of that sort of thing, which is nice. I wanna I wanna say there was like either 65 or 85 in the original. Because yeah, you had the discoveries. There was more bounty fights. There was uh, and yeah, they said the the, the the moon, the whole the, the integrated moonfish piastal quest. Yeah, and anything that they could feasibly shove in more uh, side content into without breaking the story, they kind of just poked new stuff around. Yeah. And provided more backstory for one of the characters in the back in the yeah, meantime. no, adding in piastal actually fills in a lot. Uh, so yeah, the original game had eighty-six discoveries, and then where are the ones after? What a strange number. No wait, I, I'm sorry. The original game had sixty-five discoveries, and then eighty-five. So it was only twenty. I I misspoke. Oh okay. It just it's seemed so like a lot. <laughs> it seemed like a lot because I pulled up the map where they all were, and some of them just looked like they were going to be such a pain to find. Um, 5% more. <laughs> yeah. So, so getting into the gameplay itself, it has very basic RPG combat. Um, but one of the things I, I like about the turn-based combat and just just the battle system itself is being able to change your elements on the weapons. They make that cool sound. <laughs> yeah. Shing, shing, shing. Uh, and that and that was a key feature for the battles too, because you had to change your elements because like every monster had a different element that it had. So changing what element your weapons were allowed you to actually hit the monsters. The I would say the one downside to all that though is this is that era of you know early 3D RPGs where everything had long cutscenes associated with every single thing you did. Cutlass mm. Fury. Yep, you can actually skip those, but I, I didn't find out until very recently, and you're still going to take a long time for like everything to load in and start the battle and then watch the characters do their little victory animation and such. Uh, I have definitely spoiled because this didn't bother me so much like 18, <laughs> 19 years ago. Yeah, in hindsight, I should have taken your advice, uh, David, and played it on the Dolphin emulator. That way I could have fast-forwarded some battles, because, yeah, it's, sometimes just getting across the map between the battles and the just the constant fighting was, was kind of a chore. Mm -hmm. um, and there was some, like, one dungeon, uh, the, like, the uh, that uh, in Ixtaka, the uh, Moonstone mining Mine, I believe. Mm -hmm. Apparently the uh, encounter rate's higher than unusual, and that place is irritating. Yeah, I <laughs> I think it took me like two whole evenings to get through that mine. You know, I was trying to do this late at night when I was like falling asleep every so often, and which is maybe that's where one of those chests were, but I don't know. Anyway, um, I was up till 3 a.m. trying to find a save point. Oh, I've been there. I hated that. I hate that so much when I can't go to when I need to go to sleep, but there's no save point in sight. Yeah, no save point. You can't. There's no quick save. Just <laughs> and I didn't want to leave it on. I, I have become so spoiled on games lately that like Xenoblade or like I'm playing Soul Hackers 2 right now and you could just save anywhere. And the fact that you couldn't do that back in the past, it's like I, I get that it was because of disc, disc space, but it still sucks. Mm -hmm. And uh, like my first RPG was Pokemon. So I thought, what do you mean I can't save everywhere? <laughs> 
So the other bit of the battle system that's interesting in this game is that you have ship battles. And the ship battles are awesome because they have a little bit more strategy in mind than, than you know, just mindly, mindlessly matching the A button or matching the like a super move to get through the regular random encounters. Um, you've got f- four people taking turns and you decide who takes their turn when, and you've got, there's a, uh, it's color coded. So green means you have an advantage and red means you have a disadvantage. So on each part of the turn, you've got to kind of decide, okay, well, I need to guard on this part of the turn and attack on this part of the turn. And then in some of the ships you get, you get these like, well, I think you only get two ships in the entire game now that I remember. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The little Jack and the Delphinus. Yeah. Um, so that they both have super weapons. Um, that the little Jack has the harpoon cannon and the Delphinus has the moon cannon. And your your goal was kind of to be able to fire the super weapons so that you could basically one shot the fight. Yeah, or at least cause a lot of damage on like one of the maybe like one of the uh, bonus bosses, maybe. Mm-hmm. And you know, throughout the course of the fight, that you'll be asked questions like, "Well, should we move move in or should we back up?" And you've got to kind of make that decision on the fly and live with your consequences a little bit. Because if you make the wrong one, um, I mean, you can still guard against some of the attacks, but you're still going to take a ton of damage. Mm -hmm. And getting into those advantages where you can fire your super cannon. Oh, my God, that is so satisfying. Yep, and sometimes at least for at least for one fight, I don't know how often it happened. You had to use a like a, a spell that increased speed so you can dodge an attack as well. I, I don't yes. think it happened all the time. I might just do that in that one fight. There was a couple of fights that that happened, and I I know it was against one of the Gigases, and mm-hmm. I feel like one of the uh, ships that was also pretty fat. Er, yeah, I think one of the Alphatoman ships. That's where I felt like that happened. Yeah. But I, I just I, I kept running around wanting to get into ship fights because I love the ship fights so much in this game. Oh, yeah. No, the ship fights were a lot of fun. And I yep. think that's part of the reason why so many people really want a sequel is because of that aspect alone. Yeah, I can't think of another game that does anything similar to that. It's definitely a fun uh, like it's a, it's a fun change from just regular random encounters and, ba- and boss battles and such. Yeah, off, the, off the top of my head, the only one that's coming to mind is Rocket Slime. And even then, that's kind of a stretch because I, uh, those ship battles are more action-oriented than turn-based. Hmm. Um, but, but, Did yeah. any of you ever play Nostalgia? I yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was Heard thinking about that just a moment ago when they were saying um, about the four different people you know, taking turns in the ships. And yeah, that's actually uh, part of Nostalgia's thing is uh, you had ship battles. I think it was designed to be like whoever created it. I forget who created it offhand, but... Uh, did it with Skies of Arcadia in mind. Oh, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. God, that was so long ago. I, I completely put that game out of my head, and I uh, beat that game, and I enjoyed yeah. that game. Really? Because if I remember correctly, Ignition did the localization for that game, and uh, I still don't, I still won't forgive them for Arc Rise Fantasia. <laughs> it's the least worst among the initial Ignition uh, localizations. Uh, as far as who actually made it, it's uh, one of those situations. The Red End, Red Entertainment. Oh yes. Matrix. Red Entertainment, previously having had uh, success with Soccer Wars, they were definitely adjacent to the kinds of things being done with. Well, they uh, all, they Red Entertainment had also done Shadow Hearts and um, 
what's the other one? Uh, Sayuki Journey West as well. I mean, Red Entertainment's been around for forever. Like, their biggest claim to fame in Japan is actually probably uh, Tengai Makio. You know, I might have to put Nostalgia on our list for upcoming show ideas because that, that was a pretty decent RPG for being on the DS. I, I just, I tried it like four or five times and just could not get into it. There was something in the in the way the game played that just was didn't like snag me right and i just it just i found it a snooze fest and and yeah part of why i enjoyed it and why i sought it out is because a lot of people compared it to skies of arcadia and thank you matt for bringing that up because in a way it's a little bit of a spiritual successor it's definitely shooting for the same so so tam you said that nostalgia put you to sleep well a lot of games put me to sleep i mean uh, being a <laughs> being a narcoleptic that's an easy thing to do but <laughs> like every time i tried to pick up nostalgia um just i it just uh, i should look on i should look on my 3ds because i played it not when it came out and yeah i had the same problem i think i i, I might have gone past five hours but i surely did not make 10. It was the so, same thing. It was like, okay, I played 30 minutes, I put it aside. Maybe that might not be a good show idea since I'm the only person that actually finished it, but I also have barely remember it because it was so long ago. I have no uh, nostalgia for it. Yeah, hey, oh. it. Hey. And, I, and I played it at release. <laughs> I didn't play. try and go back and play it. No, I played it at release. Uh, I picked it up when it was new as well. So, so back to Skies of Arcadia. Um, <laughs> I, I think my other favorite thing about this game is that the story is just so freaking good. It's very charming. It, it, I mean, it is your kind of typical spunky young kids fighting the evil empire story. But the the kind of MacGuffin that drives the story forward, which is which is the girl whose name I'm blanking on now. Fina. Fina. Yeah. And Fina. of course, the, the elemental moonstone crest, moon crystals. Yeah, um, Fina basically trying to find all of the moon crystals to stop the world from getting destroyed again, while the evil empire is also trying to find all the moon crystals so that they can control the Giguses and have ultimate power. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the snag in there about Fina's brother being, a, what was he, a general in the Imperial Army? Uh, an admiral. He was an admiral in uh, yeah, the Valuant Empire. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's all sh- nautical stuff, so. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's based, and Valuant is basically like uh, Spain during the Age of Exploration with a touch of the Roman Empire, so. Mm-hmm. And um, Sky Pirates are a thing in this world, and you've got the Black Sky Pirates, which are just horrible people, but just well, your typical pirates, uh, plundering and stealing things and just being terrible people. But then you've got the Blue Rogues, which are essentially like the Robin Hoods of the Sky Pirates that steal from criminals, steal from bad people generally you know enjoying being rogues but good people and your main character vice and his best friend Ika are part of the blue rogues and you start out with your being a part of your dad's crew which i thought was kind of a cute touch um a little, little bit of a growing up story with vice because over the course of the game he ends up with his own his own ship and then his own crew you've got that island mm-hmm. that you turn into your base i, I love the, i love the island and the recruiting and like seeing your base building up over time mm-hmm. and that's not even an early game thing that comes about like mid game like, yeah yeah like a little pa- like about a little past the halfway point is when you get to crescent island and you can actually turn that into your base yeah, I completely forgot how late game that was until so it did I. Um I only realized it the second time. We're like, wait a minute, where he gets shipwrecked? 
that's where he actually gets the base. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I thought that happened much sooner, but apparently not. Uh, so, so you're running around the world uh, picking up crewmates along the way. I think there's 24 of them. 22, as I recall. 22. Yeah, yeah t- 22. Um, each of them have a role, and you can use them in your sh- um, as buffs for your ship battles. Yeah, and and basically it's a lo- it's. 11 but two sets of 11 because mm-hmm. each yeah. crew member like two crew members fulfill the same role but they provide different buffs so mm-hmm. you have you know uh, 11 that you can have but you have a total of 22 different characters that fill those 11 roles yes and also during uh for regular battles uh you could use two special like two two super specials when you completely because oh we kind of skipped this but during regular battles you have this sp bar that you save up points so you can pull off special attacks. If you completely fill it up, there are two spe- there are super specials you can do. Uh, Prophecy, which is a massive damaging attack to all enemies on field. And um, I, I, is it just, what was the other one called? Drat. <laughs> I never, I yeah, never used those. I, it's kind of neat because you get to see each of the characters. They have a little line of dialogue or for pow, he barks. And then either they do damage or heal your crew. I mean, to be frank, prophecies is usually more useful, but it's kind of neat to see them see each character do their thing at least once. And I, I love that each of the crewmates kind of have their own personality and have a, have a place in their base that's their own. Yeah, um, you've got a couple of shopkeepers that uh, you can pay to do research so that you can get some of the best weapons in the game. Um, you've got the cooks. That, that can give you food. You've got the architects that add cool stuff to the base, like a fountain shaped like Ica, or no, was it Vice? I think you could, you oh, could no, pick. Cupel. Yeah, yeah. Well, you I, could pick you either, pick. yeah, and Cupel. Cupel. Because uh, I pick Cupel in my game. Um, you know, it, it's like the the game is almost an RPG pirate simulator in a way, because I also remember that when you get the Delphinus, you can pick which flag you want. And each, each of your main party members have a different style flag. Like, I think uh Fina's is a dolphin. Yeah, a dolphin with wings. I did that for my first playthrough. Uh Ika's is a cat with pigtails, and I think Vice's is a skull. Skull with wait I think even wings and holding a sword in its mouth. Yeah, so so of course I picked uh Ika's because cat. <laughs> but it, it's kind of neat that the game gives you little choices like that. So that yeah, it's Vice's crew, but it makes it makes it feel so much like your crew too. Yeah, and each of the characters have, like, a unique design. Like, what I think is really impressive about this game is how even, like, most of the NPCs have a unique design, save for, like, some shopkeepers and, like, like guards in armor. Yeah, the, the like, shopkeepers... It's are, rare to see that. The shopkeepers are the same in pretty much every town, but that's nice because it means they're recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that sounds kind of weird coming coming from us in 2022, but bear in mind, we were just coming off the PlayStation era where they were still kind of using generic polygons to represent NPCs. So, so the fact that they were able to have so many unique models for a lot of these characters in this game was just kind of mind-blowing. I mean, heck, you'll, you'll still see a lot of, like, here's the same, you know, character design for a random NPC somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pokemon. Dragon Quest. And then getting, yeah, into the, true, true. getting into the world itself, the world is so huge. And, yep. and, and that actually plays a part, too, because, like, a lot of the world is considered, like, unexplored, so there's actually like points in the world that are like conserved marvels that you can go find mm-hmm. and and i i actually i actually spent a lot of time trying to find all of them um some of them were a lot easier than others mm-hmm. 
Like what I also find neat is that each of the like the different locations of different nations were based on like uh, some combination of real world or historical um, nations. As I said, mentioned before, the Bluet Empire is Spain with a bit of Rome. Even a lot of the characters have Spanish names from there. Uh, Ixataka is like sort of the Amazon rainforest with a lot of mixture of other Meso like uh, other like Latin American nations. A lot of um, Incan culture in there. Uh, uh, there the is huh. Oh. I was going to say there was the one that was uh, based off of, of course, you know, Japan. Yeah, 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 Yafutama, with, with a lot of China too. Basically, Eastern culture. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Na- uh, Nasser is uh, the Ottoman Empire, and just you know, Middle East in general. Little touch of ancient Egypt, and they have like the Caribbean pirates for where I, I guess it's just mid ocean. There's not really one nation, just a lot of islands there. Where Sailors Island is pirate island. Mm-hmm. And well, I guess the Icelands were abandoned, but you've got your your Icelands. <laughs> yeah. You find penguins there as a mm-hmm. discovery. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. Dude, they're massive looking too. Massive, massive penguins out in the middle of nowhere. But once you find your first discovery and it tells you that, okay, once your compass is spinning, you will uh, look around because there's something around. It's like every, I'm going into every single nook and cranny trying to see where the compass is spinning so that I can find stuff. And, you know, some of it is going to be kind of obvious on the map, like an island that seems like it's just out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to have a discovery. And then some of those discoveries, I don't see how people found on their own. I yeah I don't know I mean I I I imagine it was like a a, a strategy guide release for this at least in Japan I don't know about here because uh, some of them move too and those yeah. would be annoying although sometimes it's fu- it's funny when I'm like flying through just like okay what is that thing <laughs> sailing through the sky like you you can go to an upper sky there's like this weird thing and there's like a, a like a satellite from the old world or what they call us it's called the red like the red star or the metal star mm-hmm. and a like a ball and chain flail that's apparently been like orbiting the planet for who knows how long. So um, another thing getting about the hugeness of the world, you know, the world already seems huge just on the X and Y plane. But then later on in the game, you get the ability to go above the clouds and below the clouds. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it's like, You've got whole two whole new planes to explore, and there's stuff up up there and down there. Yep, and, and no random encounters, so that's nice. Yes, yes, that's the best part about <laughs> getting that engine. I I very much flew up and above or below the clouds just to Whenever avoid probably. a lot of the random encounters. <laughs> um, the, the and they do a good job of kind of keeping gatekeeping the uh, progression of the story too, by having these huge air currents that kind of wall off sections as you get the before you get the ability to go to them, and then at the end of the game they just take all those air currents down. It's like okay, you're we know that you're done. Go explore. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Yep, there's also those, um, those, uh, I think there are reefs, like stone reefs, just floating bits of rock that you need to wait for a better engine to go through. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I'll, I'll get into one of my complaints about the game. There's a couple of dungeons that you have to navigate via the airship. And I don't know if it was because I was playing on the Wii with kind of a third-party GameCube controller, but my god, the controls in those airship dungeons suck. Was that just me? Uh, I'm trying to... There's a dark rift, I assume. Yeah. I, I think I navigated just fine. There was, like, the winds around, like, when you get to Ixataka that kept blowing you away. That was super annoying, especially since... 
because the encounter rate in the sky depended on how long you're traveling rather than how many quote unquote steps you take. So you ran, you ran into encounters far more often trying to get through the freaking curse. Well, I remember the dark rift being particularly frustrating because that that area was disorienting. Anyway. It was disor. Yes, it, it was disorienting. I, d- I don't remember having much trouble traveling around, but it was certainly disorienting. So tr- trying to figure out where I'd been and where I needed to go mm-hmm. was a little bit frustrating, especially since there were p- parts that could take you back to the beginning. Yes, yes, that was irritating. And you don't really have a map in those areas either, so accidentally stumbling into the currents that take you back to the beginning just, oh, controller throwing. Hmm. And, and then the other dungeon up in the Empire that you were flying through to find, to basically go up underneath one area so that you could get one of the stones yeah i i had a lot of trouble with because a lot of that uh cave just kind of looked the same so trying to find where i needed to go was a bit of a pain in that yeah i remember spending a lot of time just trying to find like the quote-unquote chests in there the uh, the items <laughs> oh that. yeah because there were like huge i, I want to say like, like weird crystals columns. yeah yeah, yeah. crystals um, but that, that was my only two really bad complaints about the the game, that and the encounters, obviously. Um, the, the rest of it played pretty good. You go to, got a lot of neat locations you go through. The dungeons are just very, I don't, I don't want to say unique again, just, just very interesting. Um, even their version of the water temple wasn't nearly as hair hair pulling as uh, the Zelda one. <laughs> even though you do have to raise and lower water to yeah. get through it. <laughs> um, the lava yeah. dungeon was pretty cool. You said, but uh, that Moonstone Mountain one that was just annoying. <laughs> Although, again, if maybe if I wasn't like half asleep and I was like d- d- up until three a.m. trying to at least find a save point. I forgot which one was the Moonstone Mountain. With, oh, the, Ixa- uh, Ixataka, yeah, the where the uh, the Valuans were keeping uh, Ixatakan slaves to. Right. Mine. Yeah, that one was frustrating because you uh, could fall through the floor in some yes. areas. Yes, yes. So you end up going, but de- seeing that, like, I think, what, what was it? It was like a garbage heap or something. Keep falling down in there. Yes, I kept falling into the garbage heap. And there's an NPC that says, oh, yeah, you keep falling into the garbage heap. <laughs> well, th- thank you for rubbing it in npc <laughs> and th- there's a lot of good items in that dungeon that you don't want to miss too so mm-hmm. I-, I sat there with a guide open on my tablet trying to get through that um and and i will admit the town in the uh amazon area i kind of got annoyed with too because um, oh the- yeah it's so hard to remember where anything is in there and it's there's <laughs> like and it's like it's, it's three-dimensional too there's a lot of places to climb up to slide down uh to like traveling across this like swinging bridge thing like it's mm-hmm. neat and I love the music in that town, but it is like I, I, I when I go back there, I forget where anything is. It's neat, and I appreciate that they, you know, actually took some time to make each town just so distinct from one another. Yeah, so that no yes, two, that's right. no, I, I say no two towns are like maybe like your pirate base and the first sailor town is kind of like yeah, but, yeah, but otherwise, but, but you get the everywhere else, they're pretty neat. Nazred, um, Maramba, Yafutoma, Maramba's. I, I forgot Maramba's the desert one where you can get on a like camel. Yeah, they call them they call them dabus. They look like a rubbery skinned duck billed dinosaur crossed with a very short nosed elephant. <laughs> They remind me of the shoe puffs from Final Fantasy X. Only because I hear the guy saying, Right, is this shoe puff? 
You want to rise, Shoopoff? Um, but God, Sega just poured a lot of love into making sure that this game is one of the most unique experiences you'll ever have. Yep, and like, like there are other games that have like a you know continents in the sky theme, and this still do- manages to stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I love all the characters that you uh, experience. Uh, you pretty much stay with the first three party members the entire game. I think Fina gets kidnapped a couple of times, but yeah, there, there's that one a rotating yeah, fourth. Yeah, yeah, and there's that one uh, that one point where Vice gets separated from Ika and Fina, and you have to get, kind of play between them mm-hmm. while Vice is shipwrecked, and they're trying to save enough money to get to go look for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in like uh, Final Fantasy II, like David said, you've got that rotating fourth slot. Um, Drachma, the yeah, Drachma, old, yeah. Old grizzled fisherman oh, is basically Captain Ahab. He is, and, and I think even like the, his his version of Moby Dick is called Moby's in Japanese too. Oh, okay. So we're not being subtle about giant what whale. Doing. <laughs> no, they weren't, but that's okay because it's not a subtle game. It's not meant to be. No, no, no. Oh dear, they, it is not a subtle game. Like 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 a few of the admirals in Valua are just eye rolling. Obviously, if you know Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. So yeah, you have uh, the uh, the the one female admiral. She her name is Bellesa, literally beauty. Uh, you have uh, De Loco. I think most people know what local means in Spanish. Yeah. I would hope. You have Vigoro, who's yeah, you know, just uh, he's a uh, yeah, vigorous jerk. <laughs> and then uh, I know I'm forgetting. Am I forgetting somebody else? I oh, yes, think De Loco. You got the, I think yeah, I got, got the big. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I got the three big ones there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Vigoro is kind of a creep, and yeah, and uh, he's voiced by he's voiced by Charles Martinet of all people. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's Charles Martinet. That's Mario. But I guess he's also Wario and Waluigi, so maybe it's not that. He's basically usual. every Mario character. So yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so talking about your fourth party member, you've got Drachma, the Captain Ahab. You've got Gilder, who's not only kind of your dashing pirate stereotype. But he's also kind of a mentor device in mm-hmm. a way. Um, I swear, is he cut? I, I could swear, is he like cut from the same cloth as like um, Vash the Stampede and Trigon and uh, you know, Alucard and Helsing? Because he's got a very similar like coat and glasses thing. It's very on. 90s cool. We'll put it that yeah. way. Yeah. You know, I, I thought that the first time I saw him, and now I'm glad about the only person that did think that. Because, yeah, he, he reminds me of Vash the Stampede with a ponytail. Mm-hmm. But he. He's also dashing. He's who rescues Vice from the crest, the uh, being shipwrecked. Um, he helps you get break out of prison and steal the Delphina. Um, and that's when Enrique, the prince of the Empire, joins you, basically because he sees the Empire going to shit and he mm-hmm. wants to try to make it better. And Enrique pretty much sticks with you for the rest of the game at that point. For definitely most of the game. At the very end, you can pick which one of those three to be in your final party. But yeah, Enrique's there for most of it. Yeah, Gilder's I, there for comparatively very little time. Yeah, and even though Gilder was my favorite, I think I did use Gilder when I played the Dreamcast version but this time around i did enrique just because i invested so much time and uh moonberries into uh, him also his his i'm um, not his uh like justice shield is just it, you're it's so very necessary in the harder fights being able to cut mm-hmm. physical damage in half yeah that setup is very in line with how fantasy star 4 worked as well with the rotating uh last party member and then giving you the choice at the very end of the game uh, at which point there was oh, yeah, only one viable that. option I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that too. It's been a while since I played Fantasy Star Four. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, just just a neat cast of characters. I I liked Enrique a lot just because you you definitely saw the pain of how much suffering the Empire was causing through his eyes. Yeah, and he was willing to do something other than just you know defecting and join the other side when he tried to stop his mother, the Empress, one more time. He was willing to kill her, although it, it didn't go that far because I think Bill Yesen knocked him out. <laughs> And yes, some of the characters are a little bit stereotypical, but then you've got Bellias, who is one of the more sympathetic uh, admirals on the Empire well, side. Is the most sympathetic because she, uh, it, it, with her background, she said that her she lost her father during a previous war between Belua and Nasser, and she w- wanted to make a world without war. And well, although she thought to do that, the whole world had to be united under the Empire. But she was trying to do it without much bloodshed. The Empire can't war with anyone if there's nothing but the Empire left. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Maybe. But of course, she um, does very later see that you know, the Empire is going the wrong tra- trajectory, especially once a certain, like, what, like Grand Admiral, whatever Galcian's title is, takes over. Yeah, so Galcian ends up being the main bad guy the whole time. Well, that is until not the he Empress. gets yeah, not the Empress, and then that's until he gets usurped by Ramirez, who is another part of the Moon Empire. Uh, Fina's brother, uh, and they weren't. I don't think they were siblings, but they were childhood friends. Oh, I thought that they were siblings, huh? Well, I got the I got the wrong idea there, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Fina was just horrified to find out that um, her childhood friend is part of the Empire and is wanting to collect the Boonstones to cause destruction. Yes, because Galcian's great plan was to. Okay, so this is I guess going back. Uh, Fina wanted was thinking she was collecting the moon crystals to stop it from bo- being misused by the Empire, but actually the Silvite civilization, the Silver Civilization, uh, had met, like I think over a thousand years ago caused the destruction of the other civilizations by causing the Reign of Destruction, which like caused uh, lots of meteors from the moons to fall down and kill almost everybody on the surface. They thought, because, okay, they, they keep warring with each other, they keep sticking their gigas on each other, and they thought, okay, well, we better wipe them out and start clean. And then, more recently, they were seeing that the Empire was finding the gigas again. They thought, okay, they're getting a little too big for their britches, we better, you know, call them again. Fina had no idea, and calls out the uh, elders when she goes back to them to tell them, this is what you actually wanted to do. And Galcian wanted to get the crystal so he could basically use it as a to threaten the... Uh, the rest of the world, and even eventually destroys most of Belua before, at the very start of it. Like, at the start of his, like, reign of terror before he gets the other nations to bow before him. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Empire evil all around. Well, yeah, especially when the one trying to be even more empirical than the Empire. Uh, um, but, but even as, uh, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say the story is too cliche. I mean, yeah, you're, fi- you're finding MacGuffins, you're finding an Empire, but all the characters were written so well that I kind of wasn't even noticing that. It no, was and that. as I, I mean, I when I played it, I was still very new to RPGs because I understand it that that Scars of Arcadia came like after a lot of RPGs wanted to be grim, dark, or at least emulates mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII style. So this more you know whimsical, adventurous game with a touch of a darker side was actually a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of um, Grandia One in a way, Definitely getting more into the adventure. So, sorry, what? Definitely tonally fairly similar. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we've covered most of it. Is there anything else we want to bring uh, up? Yeah, I just want to bring up how the, um, the, as we mentioned how Legends adds two like special intertwined quests. Uh, one is to fight a, uh, a recurring character named Piastal. She's a bounty hunter who kills any and all pirates she comes across. 
But she get, gains a grudge against Vice, which you later find out is because she thinks he was part of a, the pirates that killed her father 10 years ago. Oh. Which would have been pretty impressive given how old he would have been at the time. Yeah, yeah he would yeah. have been like, what, five, six? No, actually, I think that was, so seven years ago, they were 10. So, yeah. <laughs> Either way, yeah, I mean, it's still, still an impressive rap sheet for a team. <laughs> So and then at the same then another side of que- another set of quests is uh, there's this uh, you find you find this ship there's a doctor that just call let like, calls himself Doc and a little girl named Maria that doesn't talk anymore you find out it's because um, many when she was very young she was on her father's ship that had caught on flames and nearly everybody there had died her father had, d- had died and her sister went missing uh, recently, she found this very strange bird, this like round yellow thing with with eggshell on it. And she, he asked you, he asked Vice and the others to collect these invisible creatures called moonfish. He actually gives him like a special lens to see them. And then part of the quest is just going around finding these things and hearing the beeping in the background. Every, after a certain amount of moonfish, the bird grows a little more and staying with this bird helps Maria come out of her, overcome her trauma a bit by making friends with this bird. She talks more. And the doctor unveils more background information about uh, not only just Maria's past, but his past. You find out that he knew Ramirez. Uh, it turned out the uh, Empire had found Ramirez, I think, uh, some years ago, like about seven years ago, I guess. Um, and he had joined them for a while. He was very close to a the uh, head admiral at the time, Menosa, but later Menosa had betrayed him and he it made him crazy, which is why he's all crazy and evil in the present. Hmm. And like, I'm thinking, okay, that's actually a pretty neat backstory. And that wasn't in the Dreamcast version because at late in the game, Ramirez says that the reason he probably used to be a very nice guy, but the reason he turned so dark is because he had seen all like the uh, the hatred, the bigotry, and the uh, selfishness and greed within humanity being in the Blue Empire. And he thought, well, better just better just stand behind the uh, one man who will rule with power instead of through like greed. And well, I don't know what he was thinking, but he thought they really they wanted to rule with an iron fist to save itself, or so he thought. And then, okay, here's some here's some extra side quests that flesh that out even more. So I guess that just wasn't there in a Dreamcast version. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a shame. I, I just thought it was funny that all, all these items. Him. I just thought the, thought it was funny that all these items, like rings and accessories and other stuff, was coming out of this bird's stomach. Like, what the hell did you eat? <laughs> Listen, when your food source is invisible, you end up eating some strange things, trying to I, fill. Them or up. maybe somehow it's made. Oh yeah, I guess the fish were eating those. I don't know. Or it could convert them into random items. <laughs> Um, the the other thing that I, I forgot to mention. So when you, when you're on the sh- the shipwrecked island, you find this map. Or when you're shipwrecked on the deserted island, you find a map, and then Ika and Fina find the other half of the map. And you guys end up in this uh, dungeon on opposite sides of the dungeon, and you switch back and forth between I think it's Ika and Fina, and then Gilder and Vice. Vice, yes. The whole dungeon. And I I normally can't stand dungeons like this because I get so lost and frustrated. But I thought that th- doing the switching back and forth with that dungeon was one of the neatest things um, that that game did. And my my favorite bit was when you get to the treasure at the end. Do they pull uh, drink your Ovaltine? <laughs> it, it was the, the journey, not the destination. Like, uh, yeah. really the treasure was, was a friendly meal along the way. Uh, <laughs> 
cracked me up. It, it's a it's a neat little gag that they did. Yeah, and I get so mad. She's just like, oh, there's just some bag of bones somewhere rolling in laughter in his grave. <laughs> By referring to the pirate treasure, the pirate who owned that treasure, so the alleged treasure. Although the one coin you find is still worth like twenty thousand gold. So yeah, so not, not pretty- too bad. Um, we forgot to mention that you can sell your discoveries when you find them, and you have a rivalry with another discovery person that goes away when you recruit him, but yeah, you have Domingo. to discover 30 things first, mm-hmm. um, which is a neat little way of making money in the game. Um, you've got a bunch of other pirate rivals that you hunt down as bounties, which which some of those pirate rivals are pretty funny. Like the the one that looks like a big wrestler dude, but it's actually he's actually the bodyguard for a kid. Oh, Gordo! That was the other one, Gordo the Round. Yeah, fat. his name was literally Fat. Come on. <laughs> Um, that was a hard boss fight, by the way. I kept stumbling into those fights because I'm the type of person that talks to everybody because um, I want to find out more information. And I didn't talk. No, I was talking to everybody because I wanted to find more crewmates. So I'd see neat looking NPCs. Like, oh, you've got to be a crewmate. Oh no, now I'm in a boss fight. <laughs> well, they they usually give you a warning. Like they say, hey, this guy looks like a bounty. Maybe we should. What should we do? And then like choices are continue and not right now or something. So yeah, I, I think those fights i think the the bounty fights like leveled with you so you could be 99 and they'd still be a challenge oh i didn't know that that's what i think i remember that because the very first time i played the game for some reason well actually my sister really wanted to be level 99 because we were playing the game together and then mm-hmm. <laughs> it just took forever to get it to 99 and while like the last few um bounty fights were difficult so, like the last boss was a joke <laughs> at 99 Oh, and you made me remember, Cass, we didn't talk about how you learn magic in this game. Oh, that's right. Um, so whatever whatever element your weapon is at the end of the battle, that's what how many magic points you're going to earn for that element. Um, so if you're green, you're going to learn green element, etc. So I really tried to keep everybody at different elements so that they could all learn magic equally. Yep, and, and not uh, only did, for that one character, but also for the entire party, but to a lesser extent. Yeah. Uh, if you had, like, Ika with, with green, everybody got some green magic, although she would earn more for having it equipped. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, although magic kind of ended up being largely pointless later when you got, like, items that did the same thing <laughs> The magic did. And it didn't help that magic used up your SP. Yes, yeah, so um, you're, you're very quickly not going to eat magic anyway. Um, I ended up using the magic more as, as for the buffs and maybe for the healing than for the magic itself. Yeah, but you could find glyphs for the buffs and crystals for the healing. So, like, the most magic I used was in, like, the uh, Incrim spell to increase attack and defense during ship battles. Because you use magic in ship battles, too. Mm-hmm. And there was no item to... I, I, actually, how does magic increase a ship's mag- uh, attack at power anyway? <laughs> uh, I won't think about it. Wizards. <laughs> wizards. <laughs> Um, I, I did end up learning all the magic for at least Fina. She she ended up learning everything by the end of my playthrough. Mm-hmm. But you're you're right, magic did end up being kind of useless at the end of the day. Yeah, it was still fun to learn, and early on it could be useful. But after a while, it, it does get kind of pointless. And you have so much money, you could buy like fifty healing crystals at a time. Yeah, I ended up just buying a whole bunch of crystals and uh, revive crystals because that was the other thing when you when you used the revive spell, it had a chance to fail. Yeah, you could learn. There are two revive spells. One that yeah had fifty percent chance, and the other that that revived them all the time. Which... Classic Dragon Quest setup. Oh, <laughs> I was gonna say Vivify and just like okay, no, but. <laughs> 
I had, I think I had Fina like learn Rosellum as quickly as possible until Rosellum crystals were easier to buy. Yeah. So uh, now I think that's it. Do we have anything else that we forgot as far as gameplay, story? I think it's mostly covered. Yeah. Anything else they didn't hear, they need to play the damn game. <laughs> yeah. Well, get, getting to that, playing the damn game might be harder than one would think. Um, Arr. The the Dreamcast Arr. the Dreamcast version goes around eighty dollars for a complete copy, and it's two sure discs. Your disc so. drive still works. <laughs> yeah, if your disc drive still works. Uh, Dreamcasts were not built built very well. Um, the GameCube version, which is arguably the superior version of the game, goes around for a hundred plus, and that was even before game prices skyrocketed. So very glad I bought mine. <laughs> yeah. One. So. You know what? In the, in the spirit of the game about Sky Pirates, uh, R, <laughs> you'd you be finding it on the back of a truck there, matey. You find it, you find it by sailing the high skies. Because um, people have clamored for either an HD remake or a port of something of this. And, and, and Sega so, like says they're interested, but then never does. Yeah, so and, I just, and, I, they've, and I think the characters only showed up in a few, like a few times as a cameo. Yeah, he so he was in Valkyria. Bo- yeah, yeah Valkyria Chronicles. Chronicles. And I think a, like a Sonic racing game? Yeah, Sonic he has like a... Or also yeah. racing transform. Yeah, he has it. a whole track and a boat. Hmm. So um, I pulled up uh, price charting. Skies of Arcadia Legends complete inbox is almost $200 right now. And huh. only going up. <laughs> and there is a Prima Skies of Arcadia Legends strategy guide. Oh. And what's that bad boy going for these days? Um, I don't know why it has a complete inbox price for the strategy guide at $145. <laughs> and then lose price is like $97. I'm like, how? how? But it's, it's, it's a book. It's going to be loose. <laughs> It can't be in a box. I was um, going to say, we have the internet now, kids. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on a strategy guide. No. But, and then, oh, I wish I saw that back in the day. I would have liked to have that. Um, yeah, I, I swear no. I saw one, but never. Yeah, I don't think I ever it. saw one. I used to collect strategy guides. I, I still have them, albeit they're kind of um, tattered, some of them, but I never saw that one. Yeah, no, this is not I have a common a... game to see. I've never seen the strategy guide. In yeah, no, life. I have a large collection of strategy guides too, and I don't have this one either. Um, um, as far as the Dreamcast version goes, uh, complete in box is about one hundred and thirty-three dollars. Whereas the PAL versions of these are actually roughly similar in price at uh, 100 and 120 depending on... You too can purchase a version that runs worse. <laughs> See, I, whenever I do the pricing for each game, I, I tend to look at eBay and just do sort from lowest to highest and just find the first CIB one that I find. Because um, sometimes price trading can be a little bit wonky, so your, your mileage may vary. vary. I guess yeah. the, the point we're trying to make is, unless you've got some uh, serious cash you're probably going to be playing this on Dolphin um, if you have a Steam Deck I've heard that I've heard that GameCube games run pretty good on Steam Deck <laughs> uh, though if, if Sega ever does do a remaster I will definitely put my money for where my mouth is and pick it up because yep. the game is the game could use a remaster you know a little bit of a spit shine yes yes like I know eventually coming for a sequel for a while but just even an enhanced port like a, a you know a remaster an HD remaster would be great Put this damn thing on Switch and give it a fast-forward button and I'll never play another RPG again. (laughs) I I honestly wanted Pistel as one of my uh, crewmates. Wait, what? (laughs) The pirate. Yeah, Justin, you mean? Yeah, the gal who's hunting pirates. I wanted her as a crewmate. 
Yeah, that could be interesting. See, for some reason, I thought she was a crew bait, but I guess not. No, no, she's at the end of it. No. <laughs> okay. No. I I saw the pictures of her and thought, oh, another character to play as. I, <laughs> you know, it's it's been twenty years. <laughs> I'm going to forget stuff about the game, but uh, yeah. That just means you got to play it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I could just imagine. Well, you know, I was playing this at around the same time that I booted up the Chrono Cross remake, or the Chrono Cross remaster, and I couldn't believe how good they made that, that old game look. And that was a PS1 game. So imagine what Skies could look like with mm-hmm. uh, HD polygons. I don't know how well the dungeons would look in HD, because they're pretty muddy. Um, yeah, but at least the characters would look good, and I mean, like, they were already very expressive for you know relatively early yeah Honestly, you know, for their I feel day. Like the biggest thing they'd run into when redoing it is a lot of the bespoke pieces of art that show up that were likely not drawn at a high resolution yeah shame because you get like shit like the imagined spot that Ika has of like <laughs> oh what if Weiss's hair got set on fire <laughs> oh I f- we forgot to bring up Ika's oh, little fantasy near daydreams yeah. they're so funny uh, just like and you'll uh, freeze instantly at, in the Icelands yeah she's got she's got ideas about the world we'll leave it at that <laughs> so I think we're ready to walk away and most away. of them are wrong Right. So I think we're ready to take a quick musical break, um, get get some water, kind of calm down a little bit before we get into our roundtable where we'll get into our own personal thoughts. Uh, unless anybody had anything else they wanted to say? Nothing that's yes. not going to come nope. up soon. <laughs> um, play, play the game if you can. Uh, bug Sega for an HD remaster. And we will be right back. RPG backtrack where now we get into our personal thoughts about Skies of Arcadia. Um, Matt had to bounce because he, he he said that he's been very tired this week. I guess uh, being a school teacher is catching up with him finally. Um, our RIP, our teachers. Um, th- 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 thank you, Matt, for h- hanging out with us while you could. Um, that, that being said, uh, our roundtable, um, I always like to start off with the first question. What was your favorite slash funniest moment from the game? Let's start off with Robert. So um, my favorite moment was um, when Enrique finally realized that the Empire shit, I'm jumping, you know, I'm heading over with the good guys, you know, and takes their the, the brand new, like, top of the line battleship with him. That was kind of my favorite moment. <laughs> Especially when they're kind of like refused because they think that he's spying for them. And he goes, well, why don't you just kidnap me then? Yeah. And they're like, okay. Yep, yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah. So that was kind of my favorite moment because up to this point, it's, you know, it was just sort of hodgepodge. You know, we're fighting the Emperor Empire, but we don't really have a good means to do it. And then suddenly, boom, battleship. <laughs> yep, a prototype with the a weapon strong enough to kill the Gigas. Yeah, 
good thing that you guys got that battleship when you did, because otherwise you could have been screwed. Because <laughs> that cannon, man, that that oh. cannon was my favorite part about those ship fights. Yeah, especially the one where it's head to head. What about you, David? Uh, I think it's going to be like a weird thing for a game that's got so many great like story beats and character moments. But I think my favorite part of the game was actually just the first time that like I was let loose on the world map in my ship and like ran into a discovery. Oh, yeah. It really gets to the cuts to the quick of what makes the game so like atmospherically charming. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree mm-hmm. with that. The, the, it, the game really wants you to get into it right from the start. And, and, and I, I joke a lot about pacing in games, you know, the time to slime thing. And this game just drops you right into the action. Yeah, it's got a great little opening set piece. And then, like, it doesn't take long after that before it's like, hey, this is a game about exploration. Go go look around. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Once you get on the little jack. Yep. Um, how about you, Cass? Uh, so this is to the uh, new material. It's when uh, at the, the the end of the Moonfish quest, Maria says goodbye to the the weird bird. She names it Piccolo. It's completely grown up and it's like it's gigantic, yellow has has like wings in addition to tiny little arms and legs. <laughs> and she knows that the Piccolo has to go back to live with others of its kind. And while she's sad to see it go, uh, she's like the fact that she's speaking to the bird and to everybody else uh, without shying away anymore. It just shows how much she how far she's come and how much uh, Piccolo has helped her. Although the bird apparently will visit her at some point in the future, though it's not on Hamacho Island, so I don't know where it is. Hmm. And related to that, at the the very end of the Piastal quest, Piastal talks to Maria. She doesn't want to admit she's her sister yet, but it's still kind of sweet to see them talking to each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a so, heartwarming little moment. So I wrote down mine, but I'm changing it because I was surprised nobody brought this one up. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you're getting the purple crystal and you discover that Rockham is one of the Gigases, and I, I think Rockham, if I remember correctly, Rockham basically just tears the little Jack to shreds, and you're down in this dungeon and you're trying to get to the bottom of it, and there you see. Um, Rockham and Drock. How do you say his name Drachma, again? Drachma, I believe. Drachma. Drachma. You see, you see Drachma down there, and he's been sitting with Rockham this whole time. And they're like, Vice Girl, like, what, what are you doing? And Drachma, who's been, I, I, I skipped something there. Basically, the reason why Drachma is hunting down the whale is because the whale um, caused a shipwreck that killed his son. And hmm. that's why the, the name of the ship is the Little Jack. And he, he carries this box of feathers with him that was what uh, Jack liked to collect. And when you find out that Rockham basically saved Drachma from falling in below the clouds and because of this Rockham is dying and Drachma stayed with him so that he wouldn't die alone and this, as he's saying this, this this giant whale basically starts shedding tears mm-hmm. and then ends up passing away and you get the purple stone and Drachma has has had this closure you know hunt, hunting this whale for vengeance pretty much his whole life and then finding out that well no this, this creature just did it by accident and didn't mean to kill his son and saved him. Now. Yeah, and especially since it was a, a normal animal until like the ancient civilization turned it yeah. into a gigas. It's not even like the others, which are artificial, apparently. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, f- the first time through, I cried that during that scene, particularly when mm-hmm. Dr- uh, Drachma finally lets go and opens the box and lets all the feathers out. 
that's just like if you don't feel some emotion during that scene, you're a robot. I'm sorry. No, I, 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 I definitely, I, I did it. I like find that scene very uh, melancholic. I, I remember correctly, uh, but like back in the day, Nintendo Power had that listed as a uh, like, like one, of, like either like a like a maybe one of the saddest scenes or something mm-hmm. in their uh, awards. I don't know what won that year, but I do remember seeing that like Rackham's final moments. It was listed as. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was a pretty heartwarming scene and one of the few kind of a little bit of downer moments in the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. But be beautifully downer uh, in a way, seeing him finally let go of all this pain that he's experienced. Yeah. And he's still just, alive, too. They thought yeah. he had died. Yeah, just, oh, game, you get me right in the feels. Mm-hmm. Why do you do that? Oh, because you're good. <laughs> um, and I'm surprised nobody mentioned it. Mm-hmm. No, it's oh, a good oh, it's definitely a favorite scene of mine. <laughs> Though I do have a runner-up, and it is the... Uh, the pirates that are impersonating Vice and the crew uh, mm-hmm. that you fight as a boss fight. Yep, they're impressively strong for a yeah. bunch of fakes. And then when you defeat them, they're like, oh, well, we're just going to be a lookalike show and tell of your feats. And Vice is like, cool, get out of here. <laughs> Whatever. It's a fun thing to do with your time. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now uh, let's get into our favorite characters, uh, starting with Robert. Um, my, my actual favorite character was Fina. <laughs> I found her really cute. Understand, I play obviously, you know, when this came out, I was like early 20s. Mm-hmm. Was, so, I mean, she she was cute, but at the same time, you know, she she has to grow as a character through this whole thing. Like, Vice and Aka, they grow a little bit, but Fina has to see the most growth because she finds out mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff she was told by her civilization was wrong, that they mm-hmm. were the you know, that everything that she was raised to believe was not true, and mm-hmm. so she has to overcome, you know, this sense of being lied to her entire life. And then um, in the ending credits, you know, you know, through the whole game, she's wearing, you know, the traditional, you know, her traditional outfit, you know, the long white, white, silvery robe of the what what were they called? Silvite civil. Yeah, Silvite, the silver civilization. Yeah. Of the so, And then in the in the po- like ending credits or post ending credits, you see her like in a actual like pirate outfit like the others. And Chupel so. has a hat and a mustache <laughs> and an eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> I, forgot to, I forgot to mention when you finish the game it shows what happened to all of your crewmates yeah which yeah. is awesome yeah, i forgot about that just like oh so like that's and that was a few years before fire emblem i'd forgotten that sort of like post credit where are they now epilogue. oh i i love it when I, games have a post i love i love when now. games I, I love games that do that mm-hmm. it, it makes the world feel so much more lived in mm-hmm. um did you have a favorite character david uh for a favorite character it's honestly probably Ika. she's just too much fun <laughs> yeah she, you know they, they did a really good job of writing her and they could have easily made a character like her annoying and the fact that they didn't just shows how good this game is they, they know when to draw the line with her because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if she was both annoying and in inco- like uh, sorry if she were both like this kind of daydreamer archetype and incompetent, it would be just irritating. But she's she knows when to take something seriously. She's just you know mm-hmm. kind of ditzy sometimes. <laughs> but but then also hilarious, like when she uh, k- kicked the shit out of Vigoro. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
for being a creep. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that scene would fly anymore, where he's, he goes as close as you can to forcing himself on Ica in a T-rated game. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a little pretty, uncomfortable. But... It was pretty cringy. At least they turned it into somewhat comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what about your favorite character, Cass? Yeah, it's also like, uh, I just like, I, I like her sass, her snark, her, you know, her side remarks, and, and her facial expressions are just, I, I just love them. Her, her, like, the way she rolls her eyes and and I, I appreciate that she was not a vice love interest because I hate it when they make the childhood friends into lovers. Thing. I mean, she does, she shows a bit of jealousy when uh, Vice is like staring at Bellyessa in like disguise. She's pretending to be somebody named Belinda instead. Mm-hmm. And tricks what them. a name! What a name yeah, change! I know what a name change. So she shows a bit, and and, and she says some funny things too. Like she's accusing Vice of undressing her with his eyes. She makes a remark about who knows where she's been, and then. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I was just like, oh, wow. That's a, that's a lot to say. That, uh, yeah, uh, Elena I mean, is looking at her and she's like, um, do you travel a lot? I don't mean to imply. Yeah. Ika definitely actually had feelings for Vice. I think Vice but was too like, it's not like a, but it's, it's not like very strong. She's not like a, like a clinging jealous at all. She's not even it jealous. Doesn't, it doesn't overtake the rest of her character. It's just a context for things about yeah. her. Yeah, and, and Vice is kind of oblivious to the whole thing. Yeah. And to be honest, I found the jealousy to be a little bit more sisterly protective than... Uh, Could have been. I guess it depends on how you interpret it. I mean, she, she does kiss him on the cheek during like a before the final battle scene. Yeah. I, I think I think Vice has to have a high enough swash. Oh, we forgot the swashbuckler rating. The swashbuckler rating, that legendary rating that you chased and couldn't get. Because <laughs> it have to be high enough to see that. Yeah, I, I the only oh, I can't talk. The the only place where I paid attention to that was where you had to get it at a certain uh, level to um, recruit one of the crewmates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I tried to I tried to get the the like the the you know Vice the Legend the ultimate the one hundred percent one, and I'm apparently uh, I, I maybe I'll have to wait another twenty years for an actual remaster because I don't want to do that again. That bit's especially mean because it requires you to open every treasure chest in the game. And some of them you can't go back for. Yes, oh. and, and since a bunch of them are in dungeons with high encounter rates, and even using the wipe map item that lowers it, I I still don't want to look through the dungeons again just to find that out. Whoops! It was one of the ones that are lost rate forever. Of a normal video game. <laughs> Maybe if I could turn them off completely. <laughs> hey, I'm, remaster feature. Eh, yeah. eh. <laughs> I I'm so sorry that you got so far and came up short by ninety eight percent of the chests. Ninety eight percent. Uh, oh, uh, F in chat for you. Um, but yeah, I think cool. like is really cool. Yeah. yeah. My, my favorite character was Gilder because um, he's basically Vash the Stampede, and I love that character type. And to, I, I don't want to throw too much shade device, but man, if they made Gilder the main character, I wouldn't complain too much. But I get why he's there, and he's more of a mentor role than a main character. He's just so cool and so cute. And I do love his little running gag with Clara, the female air pirate, basically ch- chasing after him like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Nike is just like, that's the nicest stalker I ever met. Yeah. And and I said this on Twitter. It's like, remember, that kind of stuff is only funny when it's a female chasing a male. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of being sarcastic, kind of not being, but it, it's still for. It, I still thought it was cute. Uh, what about uh, your favorite crewmate? 
I mean, I know the crewmates don't have too much personality, but you had to have liked one. Yeah. Robert, David? Um, uh-huh. I, I'm going to have to admit that uh, my memory of video games is failing me right now. Although I do remember I had the hardest time getting the one that is up on the bird island in the sky. I had the hardest time getting him to join my party, and I forget what the issue was. I'm having trouble remembering that one. Uh, the only one I can remember is the old man in the Hamacho outfit, but he's just there to tell you, you know, how many treasure chests you've opened and getting yeah. you annoyed. I don't remember any other bird island. I I also remember the one that was a um, or that was the one that you had to get the uh, rating up to a certain point, and it's the weapons vendor, so you kind of want him. Mm-hmm. Which I could see that one being an issue. Uh, I did. I, know, li- that's the- I will say I did like the variety in the characters that came to the island. I, I also am vaguely remembering the one from the like Asian village because didn't she end up with a crush on Enrique? Yeah, oh, Moe- Moegi, the, the princess. Yeah, yeah, because she joins your crew as a as, as she joins your crew. Yeah, the delicate. Yeah, diplomat. Uh, yeah, it's, she marries like Enrique too at the end. Yeah. yeah. So it, I, it, I I like that they kind of planted those seeds subtly, and then it pay, you kind of pick up on it, and then it pays off at the end. <laughs> um, but I also, yeah, I agree with you, Robert. I also like two the two crewmates you find in the Japanese area because I think one of them becomes a cook, and I think the other one's a carpenter. Now, yeah, they're, yeah, right. they're Kirala and Urala. I think they are. Yeah. I forget who's who. But they were, I think they were sisters. They were sisters, yeah. yes. Yeah, and I, I, I do like the fact we keep bringing up food. I am hungry. And I <laughs> ate right before we started. I've got. I've had a pack of potato chips staring at me this whole cast, but I have had to resist because I don't want, you know, to annoy people with my crunching. <laughs> but, um, David, did you have a favorite crewmate? Uh, nothing's immediately coming to mind, sorry to say. Oh, that's cool. Um, Cassie wrote down yours. Yes. Uh, so I, his name is Ilchimus. Uh, he's, uh, I guess he's an alchemist. He, You find him actually high in the sky, which is weird because supposedly only the Afotomans have discovered how to do that. Mm-hmm. So how he got in the high sky, I never said. Um, he joins you as a uh, doctor, although he sells um, the, uh, healing items and gets better ones after you upgrade his shop. And I just, I, I think his design is neat. He looks like he'd be like a like a main party member in any other game, which really speaks to like the variety of characters. Mm-hmm. And it, he has a, in, any backstory. He it was in, very intelligent. Always wanted to be a doctor, but the Empire insisted that he had told him that he had to design weapons for the army instead. So he just left and is a hermit way high up in the sky. And the way to recruit him is that somebody in the party has to know the Rosellum spell. I think he was actually the one I was thinking of because it was just oh. such a pain in the butt for me to try and get him because I didn't know what the requirement was. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's and a, I, I, I guess you wouldn't know without looking it up. I, I, yeah, I don't know how you'd know that unless maybe you just happened to have the spell at that time. And it can take a long time to get a character to learn it if you're not focusing on mm-hmm. silver magic. Yeah, because I, I focused on silver magic a lot because mm-hmm. I, I wanted at least somebody to have the res. Yes. So yeah, he's neat. Um, I, I like Palm the dog because he's a dog and he's cute and he kind of reminds me of Rapide, which is one of my other favorite RPG dogs. Yep, and instead of saying bow wow, he says pow pow. Yep. Wow. So, so cute. And, and you see him from the very beginning of the game because he's running around the uh, island and the kids are playing with him and then mm-hmm. you talk to the kids and you're like, hey, you've got a ship now. Take your dog with you. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he joins as a quote-unquote jester. <laughs> What else is a dog there to do and make people happy? Yep. That is what a dog do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Did any of you guys have a favorite discovery? Probably just the ship graveyard, just for like the bit of color that it adds. But that's kind of all of them, so, you know, just sticks out when it's like, yeah, people thought there was a monster here, but it turns out that the winds are just really strong and people kept crashing into rocks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I put discoveries on here because I thought it was neat, the, the, the different variety of them between, you know, the, the different animals, um, the satellite that's out of nowhere. Did They just mm-hmm. kind of added a little bit of environmental storytelling to mm-hmm. them. The giant penguin. Yeah. Oh, the world yes. a bit of color. Um, I, I like the rabbits, the rab bats, because <laughs> they're flying rabbit bunnies that cling to the bottom of a, uh, the, of one of the islands, which, how, how do they breeze? What did they hunt? I don't know, but they're there. Yeah, they're cute. <laughs> Listen, um, you're a pirate, not a zoologist. <laughs> Um, let's, there's, there's the rolling stones where it's just these three round stones stacked on each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they're it, called the balancing stone, but right. they're, they're basically all round stones. So I call them the rolling stones because they're, <laughs> and the, and you even see them like rolling back and forth a little bit if you're watching them. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have the discovery for going around the world because for a while, for a long time, they didn't know the world was round until you discover it. And I mean, it makes yeah, sense because all the air currents kind of cut off everything. <laughs> yeah, the air current. You got the dark rift separating you from Yapatoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the dark rift. There's the air current. There's uh, like floating rock walls mm-hmm. some on, on another place. Um, there, I mean, the the lengths they went to to kind of sort of separate off the world were very impressive. Yeah, and, and it kind of adds to the storytelling of the game because it's mm-hmm. not just literally walling off stuff for the plot. It's there as part of the world. Yeah, I, my favorite, I think, out of them, just because I, I, it amuses me, there's uh, the mystery ring, mysterious rings, they're called, somewhere around Ixataka. It's a crop circle, basically. <laughs> and it even says, like, the flavor text says, mysterious lights are known to cause them, and then nearby are another discovery called the Will-O-Wisps. And I, I, I'm guessing other than just crops, it was like a reference to how some people claim they see lights forming it. And but at, at that age, I was just getting out of a, I was getting out of a UFO phase when I first played the game. So it was <laughs> kind of neat to me. Mm-hmm. Now I forgot, are the crop circles also near the area that's inspired by Aztec Nazca? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's in mm-hmm. around the, it's near the Ixataka area. It's actually not okay. too far from like uh, the, I forget, it's like the one that looks like a Nazca lines too, but I think it's meant to be a crop yeah. circle, not Nazca lines. Okay. Because I could have sworn that that bird that's also in Shining Force 2 showed up as a discovery around that area. I think, yeah, I think it does. So that turned, that was like a, like a, a sort of airship, I think. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah that would been the, the Nazca lines. Mm-hmm. The okay. Nazca line. uh, yeah, you're right. That is a pr- pretty neat little discovery as, as a throwback to UFOs. Yeah. Uh, um, I, no, Robert, I know that you said that you weren't really into the music, but did anybody else have a favorite song? I, I mentioned it before. So it's the uh, the, the music that plays in um, in uh, Ixataka in uh, the uh, Horteca is the village name. Kingdom of Ixataka. I mean, it sounds like it, it mostly sounds like a jungle theme, but it has I, I, what I'm pretty sure is a touch of Andean folk music. Uh, there's a lot of woodwinds, a lot of pan pipes in that t- in that type of music. My father is Ecuadorian, so I'm very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of not just neat because it makes it a, a, a unique for a jungle theme with a tiny bit of the actual culture's flair. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason I don't remember the music is because um, I was playing. The main time I played this was in the navy when I had like three roommates. 
so I tend to play things with no sound. Yeah, I get, I get that. Now, I only I only brought up the music for this one just because I thought it was a really bombastic soundtrack with lots of different musical styles. Mm-hmm. Like I like the uh, theme of the Little Jack, just because it's it's such a whimsical and beautiful song, but also kind of bittersweet if you know his uh, Drachma's backstory. Yeah, like the music in this game is quite good. Mm-hmm. I, I could definitely put it on the, as background music during work. Yeah, I I, I saw this a many years ago. Many years ago, we're talking probably near the game, like near the GameCube release. I saw the soundtrack for sale. I, I should have gotten it. If <laughs> only. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, another thing have... I want to mention: uh, the, oh, the okay. like the regular boss theme is really neat because it actually changes depending on how well you're doing during the fight. Oh, I yeah. didn't notice that. Yeah, because like during like it. it and it sounds like you know if you're doing really well it sounds triumphant like if you get the uh the boss down to half its health and if somebody either loses a lot of health or gets knocked out it, it sounds like dire and it's pressing and it's just like you gotta do something it's really neat I, I, and I, none of the other boss like there's only a few other boss themes in this game that i don't think do that but it's still really neat to he, to uh that that it, this game has had during this regular boss fight um david did you have any favorite songs i think i I think i just eventually developed stockholm syndrome for the most common dungeon and battle themes (laughs) (laughs) which are great tracks but also you will hear them infinitely yeah and 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 so you will like start with like this is great and then you'll be like i'm so sick of this and then eventually your brain sort of starts to die and it's just like oh this is incredible i could listen to this forever (laughs) yeah i had the world music going quite a bit mainly Mm because i was trying trying to look up stuff and i got tired very tired of that song after a while um so, so then getting to our last question uh what were you guys doing when you played the game in in your lives and how did it affect you uh i was a depressive teenager and needed uh needed happy things in my life and this and its companion that i purchased at the same time katarari damashi were exactly what i needed at the time <laughs> You know, I think I purchased Katamari Damacy at one point myself during that time, and I couldn't play it because it made me motion sick. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I wonder if the newer versions still do that. Basically the same game, so, like, I guess maybe try the demo and see if you still yeah. get motion sickness from it. Um, Robert, you mentioned being in the Navy while you was playing it. Yeah, so um, I, I picked this up because um, this released on the GameCube in 2003, so uh, right... Um, did, what month in 2003? January. Okay, so l- about a year before I joined the Navy. So I played it for a little bit, but there was a lot of games that were coming out in 2003 that I was playing. Yes. So, I, <laughs> so this one, like, I thought I, I was enjoying it, but it wasn't one, like, I was going to sit down and, like, play right away because there were just some other games that were, like, I found way more interesting. Because mm-hmm. um, it, it has a bit of a slow start. Yeah. And then, um, so I bounced on it. Um for that reason but i did want to go back to it and so um i was sitting in the barracks one one night and i was like you know i'm going to work on some of my backlog so i started plowing through games from my backlog and i and i set up my game and started playing skies of Arcadia legends and i really enjoyed it so um but but because i was playing this in the barracks you know i had three roommates it's a single room barracks so we're, there were three of us to a single room mm-hmm or four of us to a single room. So, uh, yeah, no, that's how come I don't remember the music. But, uh, I mean, I, I sat through, I played it. The couple of roommates I had that I actually had a few friends who would come over and hang out with me while I played. So I had some good time. I had good times playing it. 
school. Um, how, how about you, Cass? So, yes, uh, this is a, actually a very formative game for me. And, and I didn't realize how old I was. I, I thought maybe I was like 14 or 15 when I first played this. But no, I would have been 16 and at the youngest. It, it, technically, I turned 17 in 2003, but my birthday is in December. So <laughs> most of that year I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and like before Skies of Arcadia, I, my, my experience was limited to Pokemon, both like the first and second generation, um, Paper Mario and Fantasy Star Online episodes one and two. And so this was like the first real traditional RPG for me, even if it's a little, you know, it's not like a medieval RPG, but like a like a party turn-based battles and i i had to and i had to like and i actually got, got to like it like the uh the battles the battles got difficult but then i learned okay i've got to use strategy there's not there's no like well there's like elemental advantage there's not like pokemon style type advantage you can't just get a better weapon for the harder fights you have to you know they have to like you have to you to charge up your spirit energy yet spirit power you have to um uh use buffs debuffs know when to use certain super moves and and it was just like, and I, I really, I know it was after that, I really got a liking for turn-based games. Because I'm pretty sure at that age, I was still like, I still like, I, I like real-time stuff. I was like, Fantasy Star Online's battles, uh, battle system's a lot more fun than just, you know, Pokemon or something. But there's like, no, turn-based RPGs can be fun, too, for being more strat- more strategic. And from there, like, the battle system's kind of, there are better ones that came along, but I still really like this one way back when. And opened up to, like, the, like uh, to the wider world of RPGs. So could you honestly say that if it weren't for this game, you wouldn't be sitting here talking to us right now as an RP Gamer staff? I wonder, because I, I, in, I, in my mind, I seem to remember Fantasy, but I guess it would have to be this game, because Fantasy, like, it was Fantasy Star Online where I really got into more RPGs. It was Guys of Arcadia, and I was trying to play it at the same time as uh, Pokemon Coliseum, although I guess that's a Pokemon game, and uh, also... um. Uh, the Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker came out around either around or a little before that time. And I had to end up like playing these games one at a time because trying to play three at a, on the GameCube was difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even even in high school, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think so. It wasn't just, maybe PSO helped, but I, it was Guys of Arcade to get me to more traditional because I played the classic Fantasy Star games after that and Final Fantasy. And yeah, it really opened up the wider world of RPGs. Awesome. A defining moment for you. That that's mm-hmm. I, I love it when we uncover stuff like that on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, wide wide world of RPGs. Um, well, it wasn't so life changing for me because, uh, like I said, I played played it original or I played it this year for JRPG July, and that that was kind of fun revisiting it again and just remember remembering and appreciating how jank GameCube era stuff was and how we <laughs> put up with it and how we're how we're spoiled on uh, fast forwarding through battles now thanks. Oh, yeah. Modern sensibilities. But um, I had played the Dreamcast version way back in college in like 2001. I, I Yeah, I think it was 2001. And I the main thing I remember from playing it that back, way back when is that the battles being so long that I, I worked on a uh, science project for one of my college classes while I was playing it, um, putting together a poster about combustion engines because it was like, well, these battles are going on so long, I might as well do something productive while I'm waiting <laughs> for some of these fights to get done. Uh, because, you know, back then it's not like I could look at look at my smartphone and pull up Twitter to pass the time during the animations. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, and I'm surprised that my dad didn't walk in on me and yell at me for playing video games while I was working <laughs> on homework. But I couldn't think of anything else to do that at that time, and there, I had to get it done. So yeah, just 
going off doing some of the ship battles, ha having all that stuff play out, and then drawing an engine on a poster board is my memory. But it, it it's, it's one of my favorite games on the Dreamcast, but it makes me sad that it's one of the few good games on the Dreamcast. At least good RPGs. Can't believe that you would say this in front of <laughs> Evolution, the world of sacred device. Oh, God. <laughs> You talk about playing through uh, crap. I bought the GameCube version of that, not realizing that it was two games in one, but yeah. heavily cut down. Yeah, yeah Evolution Worlds. I, I never did pick that up. It sounds like I'm not missing anything. You no, it was a roguelike that wasn't very good, and it was one of those things where it's like, oh, that boss fight was hard. Wait, that was the end of the game? I thought this <laughs> was supposed to be two games in one. Oh, well, that explains why the game kind of abruptly changed in the middle of it. Uh, there's there's I, a I, reason Sting didn't go back to that franchise. <laughs> I, you know, I ended up selling that game. and I wait, wait, which game? Evolution Worlds. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't I even, own that game. And, you know, I don't even know if it's worth anything. And to this point, I don't care because that game was terrible. Beloved character Mag Launcher. What, no love for Grenade or Pepper Box? We wanted to name everyone after weapons, but we didn't think of, feel like thinking for more than two seconds. And what was the girl's name? Not Pepper Box, but there was also a girl. Linear Cannon. Okay, yeah. Yeah, God, that game was dumb. <laughs> you know, there's, your, there's your Evolution Worlds backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's that is I actually do enjoy the game. Yes, I own it. Do we need to have a Time Stalkers backtrack, or does nobody want to open that can of worms? Okay. No, so we I, need to have I, a Dark Savior backtrack, I, and I can talk about it for an hour while everyone else asks why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I looked up the character names. There was Mag Launcher, Linear Cannon, Grenade, or I think it was supposed to be like gray Grenade, but you know, it's Grenade, mm -hmm. Pepper Box, Chain Gun, and then they just decide to drop it all together and go with Carcano, Eugene, and Yurka. <laughs> yep. You know, just kind of bumping out all the Dreamcast RPGs in one backtrack because I I forgot that Time Stalkers was basically like a best of of Climax Software's catalog. Yeah, Climax Landers in Japan. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Landstalker's back. I wish he was in a better game. Landstalker. I think his name is Nigel. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, Lady Stalker. And, uh, yeah, I, the yeah, the main character's man. name is, is Sword, and it's just a complete dickhead. Climax Landers was an ill-advised project. <laughs> And the battle, the wiki says the battle system consists of RTS and turn-based combat, but I thought that it was more roguelike. Or am I misremembering? No, it's definitely got roguelike in it as well. Okay. The game takes 30 to 60 hours to complete and features multiple endings. I never got that far. Most people didn't. And it was one of those things that's like, oh, it's a, a Dreamcast RPG. I want to try it. And one of my friends warned me, it's like, no, that game is terrible. And I didn't listen and paid the consequences. <sighs> Poor Dreamcast. You you could have been so good, but you decided not to have a CD or a DVD player and got destroyed. Yeah, they they didn't have the money to do the kind of to go up against the. There's there's a lot of discussions to be had about the uh, institutional lack of goodwill at that point. <laughs> not to mention just. After the Saturn Sega being in a downward spiral in general. Nothing I, will ever be funnier than the stories of 
uh, Psycho America executive Peter Moore trying to explain to Yuji Naka that the brand perception of Sega at that point in the West was absolutely in the toilet. And <laughs> Yuji Naka responding by proclaiming that he had falsified the uh, surveys that brought this up. <laughs> which infamously ends the story by uh, once Naka starts yelling at him, he tells his translator, tell him to fuck off. <laughs> And the translator try, responds like, there's not really a word for that. And he's like, I know there is. And then he just storms out and quits Sega the next day. <laughs> uh, I've lost a lot of respect for Yuji Naka over the past couple of years. Um, yeah, knowing more about Yuji Naka tends to make him a much less fun person. <laughs> yeah, j- just a tad. Um, I, I just I want to be in an alternate universe where Sega, you know, played to their strengths when the Saturn came out and, you know, made games for some of their most, most popular series back then and would have actually succeeded if they would have just, you know, played to their strengths. Release a Shining Force game right off the bat. Release a Fantasy Star RPG right off the bat. And I I know part of it is because hindsight is 2020 because the Saturn apparently was a great 2D machine, but there was this perception that nobody wanted 2D games back then and they just never recovered. And it, Mm. it makes me so sad. And now, now we're getting Sonic Frontiers and other non-RPGs from Sega. Yeah, but Sonic Frontiers is not looking good. It'll be. Uh, I'm I'm waiting for reviews. I want I want to like it. It looks barren. It'll be fine. You run past most things in a Sonic game anyway. Oh, I, I could get... Oh, I'm tired and we need to get moving. <laughs> yeah, I, I could probably fill a whole podcast with what makes Sonic games good and what Sega misses about that, but I think uh, my three guests want to go to bed at some point. I mean, it's only 9 p.m. for me. Yeah, but the other two are... after this. True. Yeah, the other, one of us is the podcast, you. and the other one's on the East Coast, so I, mm-hmm. I don't think they want to hear my bullshit. <laughs> But that that being said, guys, thank you very much for showing up for uh, talking about Skies of Arcadia. Um, I, I love talking about this game and hearing that other people uh, it impacted other people as much as it did me. No, it's it's a it's a great game. Um, I'm. It is sad that they never like made a because let's face it, the story wraps itself up. They would have had to do like a whole new world, a whole new cast, a whole new everything to do a sequel, but. Um, and I think that may have been part of, personally, I feel that was part of the reason why they didn't revisit the franchise. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it makes sense. It, it did wrap up well, but they it still I would just... be nice if there was something or at least like a, in like a similar game with like, you know, the regular turn based ship battles. Even a world a, in the sky. You could do a prequel talking about the the fall of the great world. Yeah, the before. the old world, the ancient civilizations. You could do do a far flung sequel that you know same world but thousands of years later. Vice is just some legend in a book somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, there's so much they could have done. Um, and at this point, I'm not holding out for a sequel, but I am definitely praying to the video game gods for uh, an HD remaster because yeah, they some, they could yeah. do it. But at least some way to make the game easier to get that you know in official capacity Mm -hmm. that'd be nice 
um, Nintendo, you want me to spend money on your uh, service for the upgrade? Put Dreamcast games on. Heck, there's there's rumors that they might be doing um, GameCube games. Who knows? The world's our oyster. It's the dream. Put, put like if they do GameCube games, all the better. Like you can use that version. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. Well, I think we're ready to wrap this up. Th- thank you, Cassandra. Thank you, David. Thank you, Robert. You guys are always fabulous. Always, a, yeah. Always a great time. Uh, no, no, it was it was a good time. Good time. Our, our next show is going to be part two of our Super Giant special, getting into Pyre and Hades. Um, so, if you guys want to play along, I think both games are on sale right now. Uh, not, not sure on that, but still, they're, they're two awesome games. Um, Wheels is going to be joining us. I thought you were going to be joining us for that one, David, but I can't no, remember if you played Hades. No, I picked up Hades, but still haven't played it. And I like the only other Super Giant game I ever played was Bastion. Okay, gotcha. Well, it is going to be an exciting time talking about all of our waifus and husbandos and Hades and ki- kind of mentioning Pyre. Because that- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that game is okay, but I definitely thought it was the weakest of all the Supergiant stuff that was released so far. And A nice c- preview c- for next time. Yeah, <laughs> a nice preview for next time. Sa- Sam enjoys uh, Pyre, so she she will be able to talk more about that than I am. But I can't wait to talk about 80s and petting the Cerberus. He, he's so good. Such a good boy. Um, but we're going to wrap this up. Thank, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, we're still working on trying to get the RSS feed updated. It's... Um, I'm going to have to talk with Chris, kind of our uh, site owner slash manager about that. But rest assured, when the RSS feed changes, you will be made aware. Uh, That being said, thank you for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and I'll catch you later. Mm